John chapter 8, we've come as far as verse 48, where it says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a demon? And Jesus answered, I have not a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets and thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets that are dead? Who makest thyself? And Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. But I know him, and if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and I keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. This is kind of the point of full disclosure you know he has said i'm the bread of life i'm you know the, the living water i'm the light of the world he said here in verse 24 i said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins if you believe not that i am down in verse 28 he said there then said jesus unto them when ye have lifted up the son of man then shall you know that i am and he's affirmed through John's gospel and will more. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so forth. We'll hear more of that. Um, but this is where he really pulls out into the open, I'm Jehovah God, his deity. He brings it out. And it drives these guys over the edge. Now look, in their conversation, a little bit testy, going back and forth, he had said, I'm from a different world. I, I'm from above. You're from beneath. I have a different origin and so forth. And then as they got more angry in verse 44, he finally says to them, Ye are of your father, the devil. Now, that didn't go over well with these religious leaders, so they're kind of striking back now. They're kicking back at what he said, and they're saying, you say our father's a devil, your father's a Samaritan, and besides that, you're demon-possessed. So there's nothing kind about this on their side. Verse 48, it says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well. Aren't we hitting the nail on the head when we say this? 
thou art a Samaritan, and thou hast a demon. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and vice versa. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. The Samaritans embraced the first five books of Moses, but they said where Abraham offered Isaac was Mount Gerizim in Samaria. They, they twisted the scripture to fit their own way. And uh, it wasn't orthodox. And the Jews looked at them like heretics and so forth. <clears throat> so now Jesus is saying, your father is the devil. And they're saying unto him, really? You want to talk about paternity and parentage? Aren't we telling the truth when we say you're a Samaritan? You're not even a Jew. You're a Samaritan. Besides that, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan, which is not very gracious. Now, they had said to him in seven, chapter 7, verse 20, and they will say in chapter 10, verse 20, that he was demon-possessed for different reasons. But here are the religious leaders with the Jews standing around the temple. They say, we're telling you, and other people are listening, you're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. And it's so interesting to see as we look at this and we head into it, look, sometimes the most religious people are the most blind. Sometimes the re most religious people are the most blind. All of us have friends and relatives that claim to be more religious than we are, and they haven't got an idea of what you're talking about when you share the gospel with them and you talk about the scripture and the forgiveness we have in Christ. They're even antagonistic and they get angry about it. And the world we're living in is more and more constricting around our morality, our love for the scripture, our claim that there's one name given amongst men whereby we must be saved, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, uh, the fact that we want to raise our kids to believe morally what we believe, to believe in creation, not in evolution. The whole world around it is more and more constricting on that. Not because they understand, but because there's principalities and powers behind all of that that understand the church is the real threat to everything the enemy wants to accomplish. So we're living there, and it's just the truth then and it is now <clears throat> that sometimes the most religious people are the blindest. They don't see. Jesus answers them in verse 49, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and you do dishonor me. Look, one of the interesting things as we follow him here, he doesn't say, oh, yeah. You devil kids, you can call me a Samaritan, you're a bunch of little devils, you know. There's none of that. I even believe, you know, there's a, he doesn't answer the accusation about being a Samaritan. He just answers the accusation about being demon-possessed because he wants to be very clear that how he's living and what he's saying is to honor his father. And it, the grammar kind of indicates there's a calmness. There's a compassion in the way he answers here. Remember Peter was standing there listening to this and Peter says to us in his first epistle for even thereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example 
that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And he's going to tell us here. There's one that seeks, there's one that judges. And I look at that and I think, you know, when somebody tells me I'm a Samaritan and I'm demon-possessed, I have a little problem with it, you know. I mean, this was the biggest insult that could kind of come up with in their culture. When somebody really bad-mouths you or bad-mouths me, I find that I react differently. I want to get my posse. I want to get my ammo. You know, I, I want to get my arguments all lined up. I want to, you know. <clears throat> and I look at Jesus here, and he's so different. He doesn't strike back. Peter said, oh, we watched him when he was reviled. He didn't kick it back in their face. And he lived that way, leaving us an example. And if the same Christ that we're reading about dwells in you and I, and he does, I think that's medicine for the body of Christ. going to say in a few chapters, all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. And love has different facets to it. Love, joy, peace long-suffering. I'm good with love, joy, and peace. Don't ask me to be long-suffering. Meekness, temperance, putting up with difficult situations. You know, and we look at Jesus here, and he doesn't kick back in their face. They do to him. And I think, Lord, help us, at least the church, to be like that. Help us. There isn't anybody in this room that's perfect, including me. So when you pick on me, I'm trying to remain calm about that. I'm trying to imitate my master and how we should do that with one another. Because things are said that you can't reel back in once they're said. They cause pain. They hurt. You know, I've had, there's a lot of people in my life that have said things that have hurt me. But I also know that person would step in front of a bullet for me. So I can step past that. Because I've said things. Once in 1965, you know, <laughs> I've said things that I shouldn't say. And, and, and when I say them, everybody wa they weighs them heavier for some reason. You know, I can't get away with what you can get away with sometimes. But it's interesting to look at the Lord and the way he comes back, he says, I'm, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And the idea is Jewish law said that if you refused the messenger, you were refusing the sender. If you wanted nothing to do with the one who came with the message, you wanted nothing to do with the one who sent him. And Jesus says here, you know, I'm honoring my father, and you do dishonor me. Verse 50 says, And I seek not mine own glory. I'm not here seeking my own glory. I'm not here, I'm not doing anything for self. He says, There is one that seeketh and judges. Peter said he trusted himself to the one who judges righteously. Now it's interesting here, the tenses. He says, There's one that seeketh present tense, is seeking then and now, today, and in the future. 
And there is one that judges, more properly, is judging, then, now, and in the future. God, presently, here with us, 2,000 years later, is seeking. He's seeking the hearts of anybody in this room that is unsaved. He's seeking the well-being of you and I as his sons and daughters. He's seeking to give us more light and more clarity on our destiny and our salvation. Prayed with a few people last service that are just struggling with condemnation. They need more light. They need to see the, the finality of what he did on the cross and the power of his love and forgiveness. That's, he's seeking to give us those things. And he's the one who's seeking the glory of Jesus Christ. Even in this culture, even in this world, Jesus says, I'm just trying to bring honor to him, but he's the one who's seeking, and he's the one who is judging. Then, today, and ultimately the great white throne. He's the one. Jesus puts those things in those tenses for us. And then he makes one of the most remarkable statements in John's gospel. And of course, he heads it off with a verily, verily. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. And the Jews are going to say, you're making yourself out to be. Abraham's dead, the prophets are dead. What do you mean if people listen to you, they're never going to die? He says, verily, verily, here's the truth. Amen, amen. Listen, listen. Verily, verily, you have to get hold of this. I say unto you, now it says, if a man, your translation might say, if anyone, which kind of gives us more the sense of it, and it's singular. Not saying it to us as a church. He's not saying it to a crowd. He's not saying it to a family. He's saying it to an individual man, an individual woman, an individual teenager. It doesn't matter. This is verily, verily to you, not to your wife, not to your parents, to you individually is singular. If anyone, he says, keep my saying, keep my log on, my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps, guards, cares for, has faith in, obeys, won't allow that word to be tampered with or perverted, that person, he says here, will never see death. And the never is the oime, the double negative, as strong as it can get in the Greek. That person will never, ever, no way, that person is never going to see death. He's, he's here proclaiming that he is sovereign over the tomb and over time. He's saying what never, ever, in any way is ever going to happen. And what he's talking about is the believer who holds his word is never, ever going to see death. Look, this is obviously immeasurable. You know, I, I remember when my daughter Hannah was literally riding in the car once. You know, kids think, and she said, Dad. I said, yeah, she said, eternity. She was little. She said, that's hard to understand, isn't it? I changed the subject. <laughs> How dare a little girl challenge my theological insight. <laughs> this is eternal. This is what it's saying here. Jesus is saying any man, any woman, 
anywhere that takes hold of my word, my laws, what he said to us, and treasures it and protects it and makes it their own. The word of his salvation, the word of what he did on the cross, the word of his resurrection and his ascension, the word of his return and glory soon for us. Any man, any woman that takes a hold of that, never, ever, in any way, are they ever going to see death. Now, he's talking about eternal death. Because every human, what, what is a, you know, kind of gnaws at every human, saved and unsaved, is physical death. You know, we eat health food, we do things so that we can live another three months at the end of it all. A friend of mine said, he said, you know, people that work out in the gym and they get in shape, they say for every hour in the gym you're going to live another day. And he said then they get end up in the hospital with tubes and they're miserable thinking, I wish I hadn't worked out, I could be out of here with Jesus by now, you know. Uh, and then there's the opposite theory about all that. That's my body went where it shouldn't have gone. But what it's saying to us here is any man, any woman, Jesus says, anyone, verily, verily, I'm saying it to you, that holds on to my word is never, ever going to see death. Please understand, this surpasses all distinctions that you and I know. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the same for a Republican and it is the same for a Democrat. It is the same for a North Korean. It is the same for a South Korean. It is the same for someone who lives in China. It is the same for someone who's in Taiwan. It is sa the same for a Russian, and it is the same for a Ukrainian. It is the same for a North American or a South American. It is the same for any one of us of a different race and of a different color and of a different background. It never changes. This is eternal. And it far surpasses all of the things that we fight about and are separated over. And if the church buys into that political dialogue, you know, the hatred of war, everything that's around us, we, we're not on course. We're not on course. This is all going away soon. China, North Korea, Iran. God loves people in all those places. And the gospel is not American and it's not Republican. It's been here for 2,000 years and it will, it's the everlasting gospel. And if you and I get caught up in all the stuff, we miss it. We miss it. Because you and I are the only hope for a lost world. The only hope. And when we let the world infect us and get its claws into us and cause division in the body of Christ and pulls in different directions, <clears throat> we're not honoring our Lord who seeks to honor us. He's the one who seeks and he's the one who judges. And Jesus says, any man, anyone, any country, any complexion, any political background, anyone who takes hold of my word to honor and to keep, and to believe in, and to obey, and to preserve from tampering. Anyone is never, ever going to see death. I'm there, man. You? I'm there. 
You know, in this crazy world, one thing I have is this book. I can't tie my shoes. I can't work my iPhone. I can't do anything. But I know what's in this book. Okay? And how remarkable that he says this. They're never, ever going to see death. So the Jews, of course, and he's talking about eternal death there. They're going to immediately interpret it in light of physical death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. After he said that, Abraham is dead. And the prophets, those that were, had the closest, most remarkable relationship to God, are dead. And you say if a man keeps your sayings, he will never taste death. You know, Psalm 89 said... What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? And shall not, shall he deliver his soul from the grave? Um, again, um, in Zechariah, it says, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? It was something that a Jew understood. So they're saying to him, Hey, Abraham died. The prophets died. What are you telling us if somebody listens to what you have to say? They're never going to die. Are you serious? Is this really what you're saying? Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? No, he wasn't dead. You know that, right? Jesus tells in Luke 16 the, par the, the story, of the record, not the parable, of Lazarus, the rich man, and, uh, and the, the pauper. And it says he looks up and sees Abraham. It says, Father, he didn't say Abraham was dead. Jesus is going to tell the scribes when they tell him to give him the test with the seven guys and one woman. And he says, God said, I am. Not I was or I wish I was. The, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus said he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And here he say, they say, you're greater than our father Abraham. Who are you making yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I, if I honor myself, <clears throat> my then my honor is nothing. Three times honor in this verse. If I give glory, honor to myself, my honor is nothing. That's good for us to remember. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom you say... <laughs> that he's your God. You know, Proverbs said, you know, don't, don't blow your own horn. Let, you know, let another praise thee. Let another man's lips do it. Don't do it yourself. Jesus says here, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say, you say that he's your God, the Father that's honoring me. Yet, you have not known him. You don't even know your God. You don't know who he is. But I know him, and if I should say that I don't know him, I then would be a liar like you. But I know him, notice this, and I keep, that's our word from verse 51, whoever keeps my word, Jesus says, I know him and keep his word. Interesting, verse 55 here, he says, he uses the word know four times, but the first one's different. He says, you have not known him from Gnosko, from you don't have an experiential knowledge of him. You've never come through your life and your experience to know the God you say is your God. 
then he changes the word. He said, but I, Oida, I know him completely. I know him in depth. I know him perceptively. I know him experientially. I know him divinely. But I know him. And if I should say that I don't know him that way, I would be a liar like unto you. For me to say I don't know him would be a lie. For you to say you do know him is a lie. I would be a liar like you, but I know him. And I keep his word, just what he had challenged them to do. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now, interesting thing here is he says your father. He doesn't say our father. Because certainly Abraham was his father in one sense. Um, The genealogy in Matthew takes us back to Abraham. So in a different way, though, genealogically, John's going to tell us the word put on flesh and dwell among us. He was preexistent. He put on the spacesuit that had DNA from Abraham. But the Jews, it was their lineage physically. It was their lineage. They had come after Abraham. They were descended from him. Jesus was not descended from him. He's going to tell us that he was there before Abraham. So he says, your father. He doesn't say our father. He says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced. So the word rejoice and the word glad here speaks of exceeding joy. He rejoiced to see my day. There's an emphasis there. He rejoiced to see my own day, my specific day. And he saw it and was glad. He was exceedingly glad. When did he see it? You know, it's interesting to read and, you know, usually... By the time I'm done reading on Saturday, I have a stack of books about this high next to me in my chair, you know. And, and all these different opinions. When did, he, when did Abraham see his day? Was it Acts chapter 7 when the God of glory appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees? Did he see it all then? Um, was it when he came into the promised land and God spoke to him about his seed singular that was coming and it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed? Was it when God came with the angels in chapter 18 and sat in his tent and Abraham entertained them and heard this son was going to be born within a year? Was it in chapter 22 and possibly, I think, when, you know, when... We have first time the words love used in the Bible. First time the love worship word worship is used in the Bible. Uh, first time the 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 word lamb is used in the Bible. You know, God says in chapter 22 to Abraham, "Take now thine son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and bring him to a mountain that I will tell thee of, which is Mount Moriah, which is Golgotha, it's Calvary." And there he went to sacrifice his son. Isaac said, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the lamb? And he said, God will provide himself a lamb. And as he raised his hand, God stopped his hand with the blade, with an angel. And it says there was a ram caught in the thicket. And then Abraham realized this was the place. He called it Jehovah-Jireh, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And no doubt he rejoiced. He saw something was going to happen 
on that mountain. And now, obviously, Abraham saw more than that. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that he traveled in the land of promise like a stranger looking for a city whose foundations were by the the builder and the maker of that was God. And he did that not having received the promises. So he saw something of Christ. He saw something of Christ's day, no doubt not just his incarnation in his three-year ministry, of, of who he was, of his kingdom. Rabbi Akaba, 138 AD, said God revealed to Abraham the mysteries of his coming kingdom. And here, you know, Jesus said he saw my own day, the day of the Lord. And he rejoiced. He saw it. And he was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, now, Please understand, they're struggling a little. They ain't got it. The light's on for us. For them, light's not on. Nobody's home. Okay. He he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. He was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? He didn't say. He had seen Abraham. He said Abraham saw his day. And of course, he had seen Abraham, but that's not what he said. He said, he saw my day. And they say, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? That was 2,000 years ago. So some, some quote-unquote scholars say, well, the reason they said that you're not 50 years old is because Jesus was so beat up from the ministry that he had. He was so you know, worn out that he looked worse than 33. So they said, you're not yet 50. Everybody's entitled to their own distorted opinion. You know, I I think in the book of Numbers, it says three times when the Levites, when the priests turned 50 years old, they were no longer responsible for the physical labor of the tabernacle and the camp, but they at that point became counselors and examples to those that were younger. And they instructed them and they, they, they helped them. They're saying to him, you're not even 50 years old. You're not even qualified to be a counselor. You're not even, you know, you're not even in the place of any kind of instructing us. You're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. And Jesus said unto them, now here's the full disclosure, okay? There's a verily, verily here again. And when he says this, their heads blow off. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now they knew exactly what he's saying, because the next verse says they took up stones to kill him. Uh, It's bad English, before Abraham was, I am, doesn't work in our language. He either has to be God and speaking from eternity, or he has to be the greatest deceiver and fraud there's ever been. He doesn't say, I predated Abraham, which was true. He could have just said, before Abraham was, I was. That's not what he said. He said, before Abraham was, it's eridist, it's a historical reality, before Abraham was born, I exist. It's a present tense. Not I existed. I exist. Before Abraham was, I am. 
That's what the burning bush said to Moses. Well, you have in Isaiah 41, 43, and so forth. I am. They know immediately because they take up some. What he's saying is before Abraham was ever born. I'm Yahweh God. I'm Jehovah. I am standing there in front of them. They just called Yahweh God a Samaritan and demon-possessed. And sometimes the most religious people are simply the blindest. He put on our skin to walk among us. Yahweh, Jehovah, the only God, put on our skin to walk among us that in that he might be a high priest, touch with our infirmities, somebody that we can approach. We can go to the throne of grace because he understands. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin because he wore flesh. And here he says before Abram was, I exist. I've always existed, do exist, always will exist. It says that he was, he is, he shall be. I was, I am, I shall be. That's why he can look at you and say you're justified, sanctified, and glorified. Because he, he that was says you're justified. Cross, Jesus. He that is says you're sanctified. He that shall be says you're glorified. And you're finished in all three places as far as he's concerned. Isn't that wonderful? You sure ain't finished here. I mean, I look at you every week. But where he is, <laughs> where he is... This is reality. It's reality. And look, you and I, here's one of the challenges for us in this name, in what he's putting forward here, is we certainly relate to him a lot in the I was. You're justified. We think about the cross, and we should. And we're thankful that he died for us, he paid for our sins. And we think a lot about his coming. I shall be. That city the rapture, that moment. And we should. But our greatest experience of him is right now. He was, he is, and he shall be. What do we do with him today? Do we take his word? Do we guard it? Do we hold on to it? Yahweh God wants to be with each one of us personally, individually. And here he is in human skin, stating it. Now look, for you and I, you know, we're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of who he is. That will become more profound to us as we mature and as we grow. The Jews, the religious Jews, knew right away he was claiming to be God. And in their minds, that was blasphemy. So it says, then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. By the way, your translation might have the last part of the sentence. Some try to say the best manuscripts don't say that he went through the midst and passed by. That's not true. Half of them at least do. And the first sentence in the next chapter says, and Jesus passed by. So... Uh, no sense throwing it out as far as I'm concerned 
Um, then took they up stones. Now, the, the book of Leviticus said that a blasphemer should be stoned. Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 17. But it was after there was a hearing in a court. It wasn't, it wasn't just, okay, well, if you flip out and lose your temper, just kill him. It didn't say that at all. And look, the Jews talked about stoning Moses in Exodus 17. The Jews talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14. The Jews wanted to stone David in 1 Samuel 30. The Jews stoned Stephen and Paul. You know, they were religious and they were blind. And here they take up stones to kill Yahweh. Isn't it interesting? In the beginning of the chapter, they bring a woman to him taken in adultery. And they say, our law says such a one should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus, right and be ignoring them, stands up and says, yeah, let's uphold the law. Okay, whoever doesn't have any sin, you throw the first stone. He goes back down again. That's right. And it says they begin just to drop their stones and walk away from the oldest to the youngest. So they don't consider themselves worthy to stone an adulteress, but they do consider themselves worthy to stone Yahweh. It's insane, isn't it? Religiosity, you talk about blindness, this is the ultimate expression of it. And then, of course, they'll ultimately crucify him. And his honor, his glory, is not at all what they think because that pathway that brings him honor and glory is to the cross and to the tomb and to the resurrection that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's such a different path than they imagined. But here it says... They took up stones, temple still under construction. It means large stones. They didn't want to mess around. But Jesus hid himself. How did he do that? You, you read, some say he got all the guys got around him, like huddled around him, and he made himself shorter and they snuck out. No, he just said, I'm Jehovah. He can hide himself however he wants to. He hid himself and he went out of the temple. Look. This is divine, going through the midst of them and so pass by. No trouble for Yahweh, right? He made eyeballs. He could have just turned them all off. <laughs> right? He, he could have done whatever he wanted. But he did this because, again, over and over it said his time was not yet. His hour was not at hand. The sobering thing here for you and I, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior as your Lord. You know, he's telling us death, and again, it haunts every human, and, and people only worry about physical death, sadly, until they know Christ. They, they, they don't worry about eternal death. But Jesus is saying, look, death is not extinction. It's not annihilation. It's separation. If you die without Christ, you're separated. Certainly from family, from friends, from loved ones. But you're separated from God. 
you're separated from heaven. You're separated from light because you're in darkness forever. You're separated from peace because it says it's only torment forever. Death without Jesus is separation, not extinction. And if you don't know him this morning, Jesus had told us earlier that no man, no woman, no child can come unless my Father in heaven draws them. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, forget about churches and denominations and politics. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know him, as we sing the last song at the end of the service, we would invite you to come forward. And in doing that, you're saying, you know what? I need to be saved. I, I need to repent of my sins and turn my life to God and ask his forgiveness. If he loves me so much, he died on the cross in my place and purchased a ticket to heaven for me that I don't deserve, I could never earn, I could never pay for myself. I want that. So let's stand, let's pray together. Great time for all of us as we remember the one that was and the one that is coming to remember right now in our worship the one who is. Great time for those of you who've only been religious. To remember religious people can be the most blind. Sadly, he was stood in their midst and it says, he moved through the midst of them and he passed by. It was the Ichabod of that day. The same glory, the same Shekinah passed out of the temple right in front of them. You don't want to stand in eternity unsaved and think he was there. And he passed by. And I didn't bring my broken heart and sinful life to him. He was there. He's here. Or we might as well all go home. He's here. And as we sing this last song, if you don't know Christ, you need forgiveness. You need a substitute to have died in your place so you can live. And if you want that to be yours this morning, we just ask you to come forward. A friend brought you, they'll say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. And stand here. We want to pray with you in front of everyone. And heaven and earth, it says, all of the angels in heaven rejoice when one comes. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. We, we're not going to give you offering envelopes. We don't want nothing from you. Not your address, not your phone number, not your email, none of that stuff. We want everything for you. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. You come. Listen in your heart as we sing. And you'll know if the Lord is drawing you. And if he is, you come. Father, I know you've overheard. Lord, this seems to happen uh, different ways, different weeks here as we, as we kind of wrap things up. Lord, I want to make the, the opportunity, the invitation available. But Lord, your word says you're the only one that adds to the church daily such as should be saved. So Lord, your eyes certainly see every individual heart and mind in this room. Lord, you see those that are in darkness, that are lost, that are tired, that are worn out that are empty, Lord. Would you draw them into your loving arms today, Father? Would you overwhelm them with the fact that you so love them that you 
gave your only son in their place. We ask you to do that, Father. You did it in our lives. Would you do it again? And Lord, as we lift our voices, we pray that it would be a blessing to you in this crazy world that hearts and voices would rise off of Philmont Avenue would bless you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.